0: You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert.
1: to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler joined to my right that is the one, the only Ryan Shumpert and we're back for another huge episode of the Press Pass missed last week. I got to I got to be honest, hey that was on me. I got a little sick there in the middle of the week but it's all good. We are back and healthy. And Ryan, maybe it was actually good timing because man there was a lot going on in the college football world and the college basketball world. Really there was just a lot going on over the weekend we got a lot to get into today.
0: No, you're right. I think a lot of our conversation last week would have been about uh, the Big Tens kind of play to to get Penn State to the Sugar Bowl and Ohio State to the Orange Bowl if the Buckeyes didn't make the college football playoff. Of course, they end up making the college football playoff, and I think a lot of what we talked about would have ended up being kind of null and void. Yeah. So It works out. Uh, plenty to get to today. Orange Bowl for the Vols, and then obviously, as you uh, see, yearly awards coming out today, and then uh, Transfer Portal, it's off and running. And it I'm is I'm sure here. that'll be a uh, talking point for us over, over probably every podcast over the next six weeks.
1: I'm sure it will, and I'm sure that will also be a reoccurring subject over on RockyTopInCenter.com, where you can find all of your Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. Before we get into that, though, it is December now. This is our first podcast in December, so... Hello to everybody in the new month. We have a lot of holidays coming up. A little bit of housekeeping, though. Hey, we have one big announcement to make right here on the podcast, and it actually goes back to an announcement we made on Friday. The Rocky Top Insider team, it just got a little bit bigger. We would like to introduce our new friend, Jack Foster. That is going to be one of our new writers, along with Ryan and I at RockyTopInsider.com. He does a phenomenal job at covering the team already, but he is only going to improve our content. He is only going to help add to what we have already been doing. He is a superstar in the rising, and I'm happy to have him on our team.
0: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Jack's the real deal, and I think that's the that's the best way to put it, and he, he made RTI a lot better when uh, that, that move became official last week, and yep. we got the transfer portal kicked off a little a little early over at RTI, but we're super excited to have Jack and uh, should only help our content on the site as well as on the podcast as well yeah we have a lot of fun
1: things that are going to be coming out that are going to be expanded upon in the year of 2023 and jack's going to be a lot of it so you can go and follow him on twitter right now at jack foster media he is phenomenal and again he is the newest member of our rocky top insider team but with ryan that being said man we got a lot to get into what do you obviously we, we start with football today right
0: yeah, definitely, and you know, I'm sure we'll get into all of it. But even right now, I'm looking as of one minute ago, Oklahoma State quarterback Spencer Sanders uh, intends to enter the transfer portal, and that was a guy I'd heard. Uh was a, a possibility to get into Portal about a week or two ago, and from looking into him, I think he's a guy that would make a lot of sense for Tennessee to pursue. One year of eligibility, played in a system similar to Tennessee's, can run the ball, has a big arm, didn't put up a, a huge numbers at Oklahoma State last year, but he also played behind you know, one of the worst offensive lines, uh, really, in the whole country, too, which didn't help him. So, plenty to get to. Yeah. That being one of them, but uh, let's dive on into football. Let's talk
1: about the transfer portal, just right here to start things off. I think that's what a lot of people are talking about right now. You know, in the last week and since the season ended, the regular season ended, about a a little over a week ago, there's been a lot of announcements for the transfer portal, but it was mainly just the intent to enter. Now that it is Monday, now that it is December 5th, the transfer portal is officially open. So right now we have five, uh, excuse me, yes, five Tennessee players that have entered the portal, or at least announced their intentions to, in the last couple days. So two wide receivers, Jimmy Holiday and Jimmy Callaway. You have a tight end, uh, Miles Campbell. You have a running back, Lenith Whitehead, and you have another running back in Justin Williams-Thomas. Did any of those surprise you? Did any of those catch you off guard?
0: No, I mean, none of them were shocking. I wouldn't say I was necessarily expecting all of them. Uh, I would say Miles Campbell and and Justin Williams-Thomas were the two that probably surprised me the least, but... Uh, all guys that I don't think were shocking that they decided to leave, uh, Miles Campbell. man, Tennessee, he didn't seem to be able to come close to cracking the lineup, yeah. and he had a lot of opportunities. Now, I mean, he was behind two obvious veteran starters in Princeton Fant and Jacob Warren, but Tennessee played three tight end sets this year. He was never in, uh, in those opportunities, and obviously, Tennessee is going to lose Princeton Fant. There's a chance they lose Jacob Warren, too. The fact that Tennessee didn't fight, didn't seemingly fight real hard to to bring keep have keep him uh probably says a lot. And then Justin Williams Thomas, never really you know was a big recruit last year four star uh down from uh, from Georgia Tennessee beat out Auburn for mm-hmm. him but never really had a major role uh, on this team. And you kind of look at things going forward. We expect the three running backs ahead of him uh, on the depth chart this year: Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, and Dylan Sampson, who was a fellow true freshman. We expect all those guys to be back next year, yes. and, and all those guys were back in uh, ahead of. Uh, Williams Thomas this year and, and by a pretty sizable amount as well so I don't think that one was shocking either I don't really think any of those were shocking uh, I thought maybe the most ironic or fitting part of all of it was the Jimmys I mean Jimmy yeah. Calloway Jimmy Holiday two high school quarterbacks they came in as part of the same recruiting class both I think committed to Tennessee around the same time they were number nine and number 10 their first couple of years and then Holiday changed to six and so then they were six and they were nine reversed right on uh, top of each other everything about those guys Always made him hard to keep yes. track of who was who, and they entered a transfer portal within like an hour and a half of each other. So their their <laughs> careers kind of always seem to be tied together, and it'll be interesting to see uh, where they end up.
1: Yeah, certainly. I, I think you hit the nail on the head for a lot of those. Justin Williams Thomas, I think one of those guys who, man, I I do think that he is a he is going to be a talented player one day. Unfortunately, maybe just couldn't have get couldn't have gotten his career going uh, at, at the at the tempo at the speed that he wanted to at Tennessee. You're right, man. In the last couple of years. Well, I should say, since the start of the Josh Heupel era, Tennessee's been pretty fortunate to have a relatively young running back room, right? You think about just Jalen Wright being a freshman last year. You think about Jabari Small being a sophomore last year. Those guys coming back for this year. And then again, having the ability to come back next year. Dylan Sampson bursting onto the scene in the way that he did about halfway through the season this year. I think that you could really see what Tennessee's coaching staff wants to do with that guy moving forward and really could be a a, a big part of the plan. So I I think that you're right. It it probably became a little bit expected that Justin Williams-Thomas maybe going to be one of those guys who explores his options in the portal. And then, of course, on Sunday night, that announcement comes down.
0: Yeah, and I think a a lot of what Justin Williams-Thomas, we thought, brought to Tennessee, or really he brings to any offense he's in, is that kind of physical power back and – Jabari Small's not exactly that. He's certainly not what you think of as a prototypical power back, but I think he kind of filled that role this year. He was good in short-yarded situations. The yards that were there that were blocked for, he got. He he was a pretty physical runner. The shoulder was still a problem for him at times, but he held up much better uh, than he did, I guess, in the 2021 season. So uh, I think the way Jabari Small kind of evolved and then also kind of the ceiling that Jalen Wright and Dylan Sampson's speed gave made it. Harder to see a path to playing time uh, in in the next year for Justin Williams-Thomas, and that's kind of the nature of the business now. If if there's not a direct path to playing time, a lot of guys are going to transfer, and Jimmy Callaway, I think, was another one that was really talented, and I was always a big fan of uh, at least what his ceiling was and his potential, but never seemed to really be able to... After dropping that fourth down pass on the little mesh route at Florida in 2021 that would have gone for a touchdown and instead kind of flipped the game and led the Florida kind of stepping on the gas and putting Tennessee away, he never seemed to get back into rotation. He never seemed to really be able to earn the coach's trust uh, fully after that. So I don't think that was surprising. But both those guys, uh, talented guys that I think – we'll have potentials to have, you know, good careers elsewhere.
1: Sure, absolutely. So that is some of the initial movement from Tennessee going out into the transfer portal. But we know that Tennessee is going to have interest in bringing in players as well. That's always going to be a a big big part of this process for any team. Obviously, Tennessee has been a team that has um, excelled in the transfer portal. They've gotten some very key players at times. You think about just quarterbacks. You think about Hooker yeah. and uh, Joe Milton III. You think about wide receivers. You go back to last year with Vales Jones Jr., uh, Javante Payton, Brew McCoy this year stepping up into uh, a really necessary and critical spot for Tennessee. So it's going to be interesting to see who Tennessee is targeting out of the portal. Now, if You know, Just kind of by your judgment of what you saw from the season, do you think there's any directions that you would like to see maybe Tennessee go after in the portal? I know there's probably a couple positions that we've agreed on. We talked about tight end just a second ago potentially being
0: one, but maybe what else? Yeah, I mean, I think tight end is probably the most pressing from a sheer number standpoint, and especially if Jacob Warren does decide to, to hang up the cleats and call it a career and not use his sixth year of eligibility. Besides that, I mean, I think defensively, As many linebackers and as many players in the secondary as you can take. It's an Uh, open
1: sign at like a Krispy Kreme or something, right? Hey, if the open sign's on, if the hot sign is on, come on in because they're going to need some customers there. Tennessee needs some people on that side of the ball.
0: And I would think especially at safety and especially at linebacker um, being two areas where Tennessee needs numbers uh, pretty badly. And while... Trust me, if there's good corners out there, I'm sure Tennessee will want to get them. But Tennessee has a lot of corners coming back, and yes. some of those guys were young players. They don't have that at safety, uh, and they don't really have that at linebacker either, even though uh, a guy like Elijah Herring, I would imagine, will will kind of excel and have a bigger role next season. So those are the positions defensively that I think it's imperative. I think you'll see them bring in... From a quantity standpoint, a very high number of players. Offensively, I think it's going to be more select uh, because you have more depth. But if Darnell Wright does elect to go pro, which seems to be the more likely option. uh, First-team All-SEC selection got invited to the Reese's Senior Bowl. I would think they would look to add an offensive tackle if they could find the right one. And then I think with those guys leaving in the portal at receiver to Jimmy's, Tennessee is going to be a really attractive team for receivers and transfer portal. I mean, how could you watch Tennessee's offense and not be? So uh, I think again, it'll be more select there, uh, but I think there will be a a number of guys. Tennessee will have interest in and that interest will be mutual. I think just how selective Tennessee gets, how many guys do they have a a blank slate and that they just take, if we think you're good enough, we'll take you receiver or they only want to take two or three, I think will be interesting. And then I think, Of everything, Uh, the most interesting, the most fascinating, because I don't think there's really a clear answer there is what does Tennessee do at quarterback in the transfer portal?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point right there. I think that's going to be one of the most interesting parts of that to watch, the quarterback option. But I think you're right. You know, when you look at the offensive side of the ball, it is a situation where, man, Tennessee's offense knows what they want to accomplish and they know what they want to do in order to get back to that. You know, I guess maybe not get back to, but in order to continue that up-tempo offense, that fastest uh, tempo in the the nation offense, that, you know, just everything that goes into what Tennessee is doing on that side of the ball, I think they know the kind of players that they want to get, and I think they'll be able to bring that in. But then on the defensive side of the ball, man, yeah, you, you bring in Quality players, I I think, that first and foremost. The safety position is something that I think is going to be very interesting to see how Tennessee attacks that spot. Just because, again, you know that Trayvon Flowers and Jalen McCullough are not going to be back next year, right? So you are going to have some more spots to work with um, for that position, for the safety right there. Like you were saying, Ryan, there's just a lot of spots open in the secondary for Tennessee to bring guys in, see what they can potentially give them right there. You need depth and you need starters. I, I think you just need production.
0: Yeah, you're right. And I will send Jalen McCullough. He can come back. He oh, has another okay. year of eligibility. Now, I'm not sure if he will. Uh, I think he's kind of in a similar uh, spot of Jacob Warren, even maybe a guy that would... Well, I don't think Jacob Warren would look at the transfer portal. I think maybe Jalen McCullough potentially would. Um, but at the same time, uh, everything you've said is still still stands true. Tennessee needs to update uh, upgrade there. I mean, I think if Jalen McCullough is a starting safety for Tennessee next year, that is a negative indictment of what Josh Hypel and his staff did this offseason. I just don't see how you can go out there another year and have McCullough be one of your starting safeties, given the level of play he's had the last two seasons as a starter. So I think another thing that's interesting to watch, and you said it in intro, Tennessee has gotten a lot of guys from the transfer portal, uh, or at least a lot of key pieces from the transfer portal, but they haven't gone heavy on numbers. I mean, even last year, they yeah. only took, what, five or six Yeah, I guys. was going to say it wasn't more than a... A handful yeah and I wonder how much of that was because of the NCAA stuff going on obviously that still hasn't completely resolved itself but Tennessee isn't going to have any more self-sanctions on uh, due to the Jeremy Pruitt investigation and last year I don't know if that was something that was holding Tennessee back but we know they did have less guys on scholarship they were not at the full 85 and surely if they If there wasn't that stuff going on, they could have been more aggressive, you would think, in the portal. Uh, So I think that's something interesting to watch, just how many guys is Tennessee going to take because they're still under that 85 threshold now. Their recruiting class is, I believe, at 22, 23 commitments, not a super high number. And then we've already seen whatever it is, five guys enter the transfer portal, and I'm sure there will probably be more. Uh, So I think from a standpoint of Tennessee will have a lot of scholarships to potentially give in the transfer portal. I think it will be interesting to see. How selective they are across the board, and I could definitely see on defense the kind of being almost a full rehaul and just bringing in a ton of guys and, and kind of figuring it out once you get everybody on campus in the spring.
1: Yeah, you know, to go back to what you were saying a second ago, that number is seven. Okay. seven total players from the transporter that brought in, although it kind of really only ended up at six because the last player there was none other than oh, the Lynn running J. back Lynn J. Dixon, uh, who who was here for a cup of coffee and no more. Yeah, uh, but besides that, I mean, three of those six players you really never even saw play for Tennessee much this year. Quarterback Navy Schuler, linebacker Jackson Hanna, and tight end Charlie Browder. Uh, the other three being wide receiver Brew McCoy. Obviously, we, we know how important he was. He started every single game except for the Vanderbilt game. Then you saw Wesley Walker and Andre Turntine as well, two defensive backs, one from Ohio State and one from Georgia Tech. But you're right. Ultimately, you're, you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, Tennessee got three quality players. Well, Gerald Excuse Mincy, me. too. Three qu- and Gerald Mincy, yes. So three four quality uh contributors to yeah. the team right here. And that's just in the game. It is going to be interesting to see if Tennessee has some more ability to uh just depth in numbers more at the transport of this year.
0: Yeah, and I mean Schuler, Hannah, and Browder were all walk-ons. Yeah. So those I mean, it's transfer portal, but obviously there wasn't a huge expectation for either or any of those guys to come in and play a major role and I mean to kind of back to the Miles Campbell point, Charlie Browder didn't end up playing. You know, he, yeah, not his role was massive, but you know, he had a a part on this team and, and helped this team out in not even outside of special teams with some thirteen personnel snaps at tight in. So I think that'll be interesting and uh, I think again, especially the quarterback one, I'll, I'll just be fascinated to see what Tennessee does.
1: You know, one of the other places that Tennessee is going to be looking for a little bit of turnover this year, we got the announcement on what was it, maybe Friday night? Did this come out? But then it was officially confirmed on Saturday or maybe Saturday, Sunday, Saturday into yeah. Sunday. OK, so uh, ten- former Tennessee offensive coordinator and tight ends coach Alex Golesh ha- has f- officially accepted uh, the job as the next head coach of the South Florida Bulls. He was introduced as their head coach today in a series of press conferences. And uh, there's been a lot of video and, and statements from that. But it does show that Tennessee going to be looking for a, uh, an offensive play caller uh, coming up this offseason. Alex Golesh spent one year with Josh Heupel before at, US, uh, at Central Florida before coming to Tennessee for these two years. Man, his work with the Tennessee offense has been unprecedented. I, I know there's a lot of guys who get credit for uh, really the transformation that Tennessee's offense have had. You, you can look at Josh Heupel, Joey Halsley, Hindenhooker. Uh, there are so many people. But Alex Golesch has got to be near the top of that list. Uh, taking Tennessee from number 102 nationally in 2020 to number 7 being in the top 10 in its first year and then taking that into the top offense overall in the country in just that second year, man, he's been really great. Congratulations to him just first and foremost, as he is going to be the sixth head coach in South Florida football history. But this does mean that Tennessee is going to have uh, a decision to make coming up soon.
0: Yeah, they will. And I think one is kind of ironic. You know, he came with Heupel from Central Florida. Now he heads to South Florida. uh, Those are two really big rivals. And, uh, well, they have been really big rivals in AAC, I guess, UCF's. uh, Headed over to the Big 12 here soon, so maybe that rivalry dies a little bit, or at least loses some steam. But you're right, and you know I don't. I think it's far from something Tennessee needs to hit the panic button on. It's Josh Heupel's offense first and foremost. But I think what you saw this year, especially with Hendon Hooker being in his second year in the system, there's just so much continuity on Tennessee's offensive staff. You have a quarterbacks coach that's been. Uh, with Heupel since he was a, a player at Oklahoma yes. for Heupel. You had an offensive line coach that had been with him since, I believe, his Missouri days, and then obviously Golish hadn't been there quite as long, but he'd been in, in the group since, uh, I guess, 2020 at Central Florida. So there was so much continuity uh, in Tennessee's offense from the coaching staff, from the head coach, to offense coordinator, to quarterback's coach, to offensive line coach, to the quarterback. I think that was – all that kind of in a potluck was a reason why Tennessee was able to have so much success this year offensively, and – While it's not something that you panic about that lose uh, Alex Golish because you still have those other guys, and most importantly, you still have Josh Heupel, who's a phenomenal offense coach, I just think you don't know exactly how much that's going to hurt you until you know how much that's going to hurt you, and and you get on the field next year and and all that happens. So uh, that will be really interesting, and it'll be interesting to see how Golish does it well at a South Florida Florida program that's really floundered the last decade and a half.
1: Yeah, hey, if you want, uh, let's go ahead and just give three names. Three potential names, right? Maybe just names to know about, maybe names to think about moving forward. Uh, But one of them being internal, and that is Joey Halsley. That's Tennessee's quarterback coach. Ryan, you just spent a a good couple seconds talking about him there. But to me, it seems like if Tennessee is going to go internally, and I don't know if they are. I don't know if Joey Halsley is a play-calling kind of guy. I don't know some of those things. But I do feel like if they were to go internal Seems like that would be the that would certainly be the play, Joey Halsley, Tennessee's quarterback coach right now.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, if it's internal, I would be shocked, if it, stunned, stunned, shocked if it was not direction. Halsley. Uh, and uh, I think you're right. And, you know, one thing I even wonder about is does Tennessee, you know, bring in just a t- like a tight ends coach, because that's what Golish also was a tight ends coach, on yep. uh, top offense coordinator. Did they bring in like a tight ends coach and a co-offensive coordinator and maybe make Halsley co-offensive coordinator where – really what that to me would say more than anything is there's going to be more on Josh Heupel's shoulders with the offense and not that those guys wouldn't have any sort of say in the play calling but that would kind of tell me that maybe Heupel is taking on a more hands-on approach himself and we know it wasn't just solely goalish calling plays this year yeah. or really the last two years it's been those two guys working in tandem uh, together so uh, especially I especially situationally especially situationally you're right and, and I think uh, that would be Really, if Halsley were to get the job at all, I think that would be something to be interesting to watch. But I also think that kind of presents the, the idea of not bringing in a full-time offense coordinator and kind of keeping it in-house and doing things by committee.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a couple different ways that uh, Tennessee could go. Otherwise, uh, a couple names that— Hey, you, you could hear. Maybe there's something there. At least there's a connection as we sit here right now. Ryan, you just talked about maybe the, maybe the possibility that Tennessee moves to a co-offensive coordinator system under Josh Heupel, which is not something that Josh Heupel would be unfamiliar with. Back at Central Florida... Uh, Alex Golesh's co-offensive coordinator was none other than Anthony Tucker, who then moved on to be the Utah State offensive coordinator. So, hey, if you're looking for a name to connect, maybe a name to go look into, that could certainly be one. Anthony Tucker, the current Utah State offense coordinator, who was the co-OC uh, with Josh play at UCF.
0: Yeah, he's been there two years. Really good year in 2021. Uh, they, Utah State went 11 and three, averaged 30, nearly 33 points per, per game. So they took a big step back this year, but. Quarterback injury, uh, Logan Bonner, who was was their starting quarterback in 2021, came back. He got hurt after the first month of the season. And as we've talked about a handful of times on this podcast this fall, you lose your starting quarterback. It, it just changes everything uh, for a, really a football team as a whole, let alone just an offense. So I think that would be a, a named... It, at least is worth keeping an eye on, and certainly Tucker has a lot of familiarity in Heupel's system.
1: Yep. Any others that come to mind for you?
0: Yeah, this one feels a little more far-fetched, but Jeff Lebby uh, also was offensive coordinator before Goalish and Tucker. He was uh, Heupel's offensive coordinator at UCF. He then went uh, to Ole Miss, where he was with Lane Kiffin for a couple years, and now he's at Oklahoma, which is also his alma mater. Uh, He is, you know, you've probably, if you're listening, you've probably heard or read something this year of how Josh Heupel's system is the Baylor system that Art Briles ran. Jeff Levy was at Baylor for like eight years with Art Briles, so yeah. he is, again, the same family of uh, type of offense. Seems unlikely to me. One, he's on a three-year contract at Oklahoma, getting paid nearly $2 million a year, massive contract. And two, he left Lane Kiffin, he left Ole Miss to go to Oklahoma, which is an alma mater, but to also be the offense coordinator for a defensive head coach. It's his show. Yes, When he's at UCF, when he's at Ole Miss – there's questions of, obviously he's a smart guy, he has a, a big role, but how much of it is Josh Heifel? How much of it is Lane Kiffin? At Oklahoma, everybody knows this is his show, and while it was not a very good first year <laughs> for Brent Vittables in Oklahoma, I imagine Lebby will, will want to stick it out with his uh, alma mater, and I think sticking it out at Oklahoma probably sets him up in a better position to get a head coaching job quicker. And then the one last name that I didn't I had an article with oh, those sure. names on it uh, on Sunday morning, another one that... Uh, came up is Seth Luttrell, who was North Texas head coach, got fired on Sunday. He play he's an offensive minded coach. He played with Josh Heupel at Oklahoma. Not a ton of connections in the coaching world since then. So that one, those first three names we said all names very familiar with what Heupel wants to yes. do offensively. This one not as much. But still a connection there nonetheless and could be a name to keep an eye on. And he had good success in North Texas. I think people were very surprised uh, that he got fired. They made the Conference USA Championship game this year and had a good year. So seemingly a pretty bright uh, football mind and another guy to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. There are a couple of names to look at. Ultimately, that could come into play for what is coming up later this month. At the end of the month, that will be Tennessee's bowl game on Sunday Sunday. Number 6, Tennessee, and number 7, Clemson. Both, uh, both received invitations to the 2022 Capital One Orange Bowl. That will be on December 30th in Miami, Florida. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side, and get into all of the Orange Bowl conversation, at least just initially. Maybe some of our initial thoughts, reactions, what we think about this game moving forward. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. We'll be right back.
0: And now, back to the show.
1: You know, Ryan, it was a long and winding road to get Tennessee to the Orange Bowl, but that's where they ended up landing, and they will take on Clemson. You know, again, there was a lot of conversation throughout the week: is Ohio State not going to get into the playoffs, and are they going to go to the Orange Bowl? Is Tennessee going to get sent to the Cotton Bowl? Is Tennessee going to go? Where's Tennessee going to go? They're going to the Cl- they're going to the Orange Bowl to take on Clemson, like I think the initial expectation was. Uh, what about you? What what was kind of your immediate reaction to that?
0: No, I mean by the time it's it's hilarious this ESPN made for TV announcements of the bowl games yep. because and I think this was different this year. Whatever. It was 12 or so noon. Here's the top 6. Here's who's in the playoffs. Yes. And from that, from the top 6 Everyone, because of the direct tie-ins of the bowls, knew what every New Year's Six Bowl was. Yep. You could put it together. It was obvious. You could deduce. And then they waited two and a half hours <laughs> to announce them on national television and make them official. It just made no sense. But that's beside the point. But no, it, once—
1: Do you think they were, like, trying to maybe evade the 1 o'clock—the beginning of the 1 o'clock NFL slate and just say, you know what, we know that people are going to be tuned into that, so let's get them before, and then let's get them right after? Like, do you think that maybe played into it? Because I agree— that was a weird break yesterday or on Sunday.
0: Not really because they still announced it in the middle of the, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the second half. We're starting of the uh, one o'clock slate. So uh, that was odd. But uh, once you saw that uh, TCU was in the playoff instead of Alabama, you knew it was going to be the orange bowl for sure. Uh, you knew the cotton bowl was out. Once Utah beat or like smashed USC Friday night in Las Vegas in the PAC 12 championship game. So no huge surprises, obviously, Uh, Clemson made easy work uh, of UNC doing it uh, with a new quarterback, Cade Klubnick, playing instead of uh, DJ. So uh, that will be something interesting to watch in in this game and and certainly I think kind of makes it unique because the two starting quarterbacks in this game didn't start the majority of games for either team this season.
1: Yeah, that's exactly kind of what I was going to also say about this beginning part of the Orange Bowl is, hey, there's going to be a lot of things to talk about over the next 25 days, right, leading into the game. And there's going to be things to come up in the next couple of weeks that we're going to have to break down. We're going to have to react to other things going on right now. But I think one of the initial stories that kind of folds into this game, besides the the, geographical, uh, the geography rivalry between Tennessee and Clemson, kind of just the, uh, the, the known... Uh, the known acquaintances, right, being so close uh, and everything like that. I think one of the biggest stories going on with this game right now is that, yes, the two quarterbacks that you saw pretty much lead each team for the majority of the regular season are not going to be the starting quarterbacks for this game. Now, we all know that Hendon Hooker has his season-ending ACL injury, and that is why he will not be there, and that is why Joe Milton will take over. But like you said, man, DJ got benched after just five passing attempts, Against North Carolina and did not look good against South Carolina either to close down their regular season. So after the game, uh, here's what Dabo Sweeney had to say: "Quote, moving forward, Cade will be the starter going in, and DJ will be the backup. We'll keep moving forward, and I'm not sure there will be plenty of conversations. He graduates in a week or so, so he's got a bright future. Uh, obviously, it didn't end tonight the way that he would have liked it to, but he's got a bright, bright future as a football player." couple hours after that, or I guess maybe the next day, a couple hours after Tennessee and the Clemson's Orange Bowl announcements was made, there was a report that came out from 247 Sports that said that, hey, DJ is expected to enter the transfer portal. So, plenty of quarterback things going on with Clemson right now, plenty of quarterback things going on with Tennessee right now, but I think, to me, that is one of the initial stories to look at when you think about this game, Joe Milton versus Klubnik.
0: Yeah, no, you're right, and I don't think... The result is surprising. I think everybody expected DJ to enter the portal after a year, and Klubnik, Klubnik, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, was going to be the starter going forward for Clemson, just a true freshman, big recruit. Earned a few opportunities earlier in the year, I guess the Syracuse game he came in and led him to a comeback win. He came in in the Notre Dame game when uh, Clemson was getting killed, did not play very well in that game, and... Finally, this kind of felt like his coming out party. I mean, he was exceptional uh, in this game. 20-24 passing, 279 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, added 30 yards and another touchdown on the ground. He was really good, and it feels like a championship game combined with the Orange Bowl is kind of going to be the launching point for Cade uh, Nick's Clemson career, and we'll obviously see where it goes in time, but this will be – Uh, A different challenge for Tennessee, I think, a more capable passer, probably a worse matchup uh, for Tennessee, but one that'll be interesting to see and uh, one that I think really both these teams, given the fact that these quarterbacks did not start this year and are, at least in in Clubnick's case, expected to be starter next year and Milton's case expected probably the favorite to be the starter and and will compete for the job. Two guys that, you know, I always laugh at it, off-season hype train. What happens in these bowl games that are oftentimes pretty – Meaningless, at least they're meaningless going forward. They have what Tennessee does, what anybody does in their bowl game has zero effect on what happens the next season. But if you do well in your bowl game, if you have a quarterback who hasn't played much and plays well and is the guy going forward, that stirs the national media and everybody into the hype train storm for the offseason. So, uh, not that it matters, but I think you have a a big time opportunity in this game for uh, either quarterback and either side to kind of get some real momentum going into the offseason.
1: Also an opportunity to make some money if you want to bet on Tennessee considering the Vols open as a a four-and-a-half-point underdog, and that is according to FanDuel. But Ryan, I'll be honest, and I do kind of believe that you feel similar. I'll give you the floor here in a second, but not too surprising for me. I wasn't too overly surprised that Tennessee was the underdog against Clemson. Obviously, they just came away by mopping the floor against UNC. Just a really great performance from the Tigers right there. But you also saw... Hey, Tennessee and Clemson both lost to South Carolina within the last two weeks of the regular season, so maybe a little bit of an even scale there. You got number six versus number seven, but Tennessee opens up as a four and a half point
0: underdog. Surprised? Um, not particularly. I mean, if anything, I thought the number might be a little bit larger, but in the realm of what I expected, uh, I think this is. I mean, it's Tennessee team playing with their backup quarterback in. It's not the backup quarterback like Clemson. They're playing the backup quarterback because the backup quarterback's better than the starting quarterback. Yep. That's that's not the case here. I mean, Tennessee is a completely different team with Joe Milton the quarterback. We'll see what both these teams look out at look at uh, look like due to opt outs by the time we get to this game. But uh, I think it, it makes sense that Clemson would settle a little bit under a touchdown favorite. As Clemson defense is really good. Uh, Tennessee's going to ask a lot more out of Joe Milton to win this game than they did in the Vanderbilt game. Yes, that'll be an interesting challenge for him. And then. Uh, especially now that you have, it's just one game, uh, a Clemson passing attack that looks a little bit better, puts a lot of stress on a Tennessee pass defense that we know is pretty bad. So uh, I think that's the negatives when you look at this for Tennessee. I think on the flip side, if you want to look at it from a positive perspective, it's crazy to say this, 12 games in the season, but you know, I don't think you have a great feel for exactly what Clemson is because, one, because of the quarterback situation. Yep. Two, the ACC is terrible. I mean, it's just a terrible football conference. It's been bad the past couple years. It's terrible this year. And you go to two games that Clemson played against anybody that's worth anything outside of the conference, they get their, the doors blown off by Notre Dame, who was the most overrated team in the country after that game, somehow got in the top 15.
1: 35-14.
0: And they lose to South Carolina in a tight game at home. But uh, So when they haven't been playing ACC teams, they haven't looked great. So I think there's a question mark of what Clemson team will see. How excited will this Clemson team be? be to be there because playoffs were to go, and granted playoffs were to go by the end of the year for Tennessee too, but still these programs are uh, at different places and being in Orange Bowl I think means a lot more to Tennessee right now than it does to Clemson.
1: Both teams are certainly kicking themselves. Uh, for that loss yeah. to the
0: Gamecocks. It's and true. you know,
1: obviously Tennessee would want the game against Georgia back and, and Clemson would want the game against Notre Dame back, but I think that South Carolina game really proved to yeah. be uh shocking and unsettling for both teams and you know, kind of was that that thing that knocked them off the, you know, wherever they were on that on that mountain, on that pedestal, whatever you want to call it. Uh certainly teams that are <laughs> that you know, suffered from that last loss and are trying to uh close the season down on the right note.
0: No, certainly. Uh certainly the case and you're right. I think the uh, both teams lost two games, but it's a it's South Carolina game that both fan bases and both teams will be thinking about in the offseason when they think about their missed opportunity.
1: Yep, no doubt about it. What do you say, Ryan? We, uh, we go ahead and flip to a little bit of basketball conversation to close this thing out, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Plenty to get into. I don't believe that we've talked since the battle for Atlantis. Is that correct?
0: No, we haven't.
1: Man, and what a tournament that was for Tennessee over the Thanksgiving stretch. I remember you start that game against, or excuse me, you start that tournament against Butler. And you have a really nice game where you make a really solid effort in the second half to extend that lead and run away with that first game of the tournament. Then you come back against USC, USC Southern California. There you go. In that second game, that was the game on Thanksgiving, and an, an overtime thriller that Tennessee had. Man, the defensive pressure was tremendous. I just remember USC could not hang on to the ball. They kept turning it over towards the end of the second half and into overtime as well. Really great defensive effort by Tennessee right there, but then they followed it up one game later with that big, big win against Kansas, who was ranked number three at the time. Once again, Ryan, the defensive effort stood out. Tennessee's just ability to lock down on that, uh, on that defensive end of the court, really impose their will, I thought that was extremely noticeable from that Battle for Atlantis tournament that we've seen. You know, how that's carried forward a little bit since, but mainly from that tournament.
0: No, you're right. I mean, it's the identity of the team. It's the identity of the program, and, and there's a clear commitment and understanding. That's how Tennessee's going to win games with defense, and it's I mean, outside of the second half against Colorado, I don't think you can say anything, let alone anything bad. I don't even know if you can say anything good. Everything has to be great, you know, about how good it's been, and they're first right now in defensive efficiency in the country. Uh, according to Ken Palm, if the season ended today, day, uh, Tennessee would have the best defense in Ken Palm history, which goes back to, I believe, the 2002 season, maybe the 2003 season. Granted, those numbers will get worse as they play better teams, uh, but still, uh, the numbers are crazy. I think the gap between ten- Tennessee at number one in Ken Palm uh, def- defensive efficiency to four is the same gap from four to 30. So that shows uh, just how good Tennessee's been defensively. Only two teams have scored over 50 points against them this season, and they... In the Atlantis against uh, really two good quality teams and then the Butler team as well. It's, it's kind of in a rebuilding mode in Thad modest first season. Completely shut them down, completely shut them out, uh, stifled them. You mentioned the USC game. That's one of the two teams that scored over 50 points against Tennessee this year. They scored 66. So they came, easily cleared that. They scored, I believe, four points in the final eight minutes and change. Uh, and it's been about a week and a half now, so I could be a little bit off. Four and about – uh. uh Eight and a half minutes and change when you count the overtime period. And in the overtime period, uh, I believe it was ten possessions uh, that USC had. They turned the ball over in six of them. So uh, defense has just been been really phenomenal.
1: Hey, that's a pretty incredible stat that you just dropped. Out of the eight games so far that Tennessee has played this year, only twice has the opponent gone above 50 points. And that is not Kansas. No. Kansas was stuck right there at that 50 mark. So if you want to talk about teams who had more than 50 only two of them in Kansas, not one of those teams. That is pretty, it's pretty impressive for a, an early season uh, resume boost for Tennessee.
0: No, it definitely is. And I think that is going to win Tennessee a lot of games this year. And the question is how can they continue to get better on the offensive end and improve there? And I think that will be something that's kind of an up-and-down process through the season. We – Tennessee, I don't think, has shot the ball from the perimeter as well as I expect them to at some point. That was similar to how last season started. They didn't shoot the ball well early in the season. and kind of got it going. Um, but uh, I think you'll see Santiago Vescovi, who's dealing with a shoulder injury, start to shoot better when he comes back. I think you'll see Tyreek Key get a little bit more comfortable and a little bit of a groove. And I think you'll see kind of the same with Guy Ziegler.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Josiah Jordan-James, who, who made his return yeah. to the court last night against Alcorn State. After that Battle for Atlantis tournament, Tennessee came back, had a 36-point win against McNeese State, then came back on Sunday night, had a 54-point win against Alcorn State. They'll host Eastern Kentucky coming up on Wednesday. Then you have two massive games for Tennessee. Both are going to be top 15 games right now as things stand. You got to take on uh, Maryland at home. That's going to be on December. Excuse me, no. Maryland where? Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Thank you. Uh, so that is going to be that tournament up north. We will have, uh, we will be there. Rocky Top Insider will be there. So that is fantastic. That's going to be on the 11th of December. Six days later, you got to travel to Arizona, who's ranked number 10 at the time. That's going to be that back to back from last year, and that's going to be Tennessee's true first true road test of the year. Right? Am I am I wrong to believe that that's probably going to be a Hornets nest that Tennessee's walking into uh, in the desert?
0: You'd expect you'd expect it to be uh, one, and certainly an Arizona team that's really good again this year. I think last year, when the first uh, before the season of the first of the home and home between these two teams, there wasn't a ton expected out of Arizona. Tommy Lloyd's first year. By the time that game rolled around, they were number six in the country, and Arizona went on to have a, a very good year and uh, one of the best teams in the country in regular season this year. Kind of to a lesser degree, but there wasn't a ton of expectations out of Arizona. I'm not even sure they were in the preseason top twenty five. They won Maui. Uh, they did have a disappointing loss to Utah. Uh, the open-up Pac-12 played last week. But, again, this is a really good Arizona team. A lot of the same pieces back. Uh, Benedict Maffern now with the Indiana Pacers. He was probably the best player on that team. Went for about 30 uh, against yeah. Tennessee in that game last year. But still, a lot of the main pieces, Kirk Carissa, uh being one of them, is back for this uh, Arizona team. And those two games as a whole should be really challenging because Maryland, again, uh, is – much better than expected in the preseason. First-year coach Kevin Willard uh, over there came from uh, Seton Hall, and uh, it, they've been really good at this point in the season. They've been really impressive. They find themselves in the top fifteen, and that should be a, a tough matchup for Tennessee as well in Brooklyn.
1: You know, between number six Tennessee football, you got number seven Tennessee yep. basketball. It is going to be a packed month for us and for Tennessee Athletics, and, and for a lot of things going forward. But you got two t- uh, top team ten, top ten teams. Thank you on campus right now that are sure to make some noise over the next couple weeks.
0: No, definitely so, and I think it'll be an interesting month, probably not on the football field as much for the Vols, but on the basketball court, Uh, a lot of big games, those two being the headliners, and then uh, Tennessee will open up SEC play on the 28th at Ole Miss, and then they get a Mississippi State team that comes to Knoxville for the SEC home opener, and a Mississippi State team that's been probably the biggest surprise in the SEC this season, Chris (laughs) Jams Uh, his first season in Starkville, Mississippi State's playing really well. They're in the top 25 this week for the first time, I believe, still undefeated on the year. And that's team the Vols get twice in January. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do there. And certainly I think it will be interesting to track the health of Josiah Jordan-James and Santiago Vescovy as well as the Vols get to SEC play.
1: Ole Miss before New Year's, Mississippi State after? Is that correct?
0: correct? Yeah, 28th in Oxford and then I believe uh, the third in uh, against Mississippi State in Knoxville.
1: Okay, there you go. So you got Tennessee at Ole Miss on the twenty eighth. You got Tennessee and Clemson on the football field on the thirtieth. Then you come back just a couple of days later to the third, and then you have Tennessee and Mississippi State in Knoxville for at least what's right now a top twenty five matchup. It's pretty fun.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it should be really the first big home game at TBA. Not any really good ones in a non conference. Well, in the pre conference slate, they do get Texas, who's the number two team in the country, to come to town late in January as the final game. Uh, of the Big 12 SEC Challenge before that moves to the ACC SEC Challenge next year. So uh should be really interesting, and it'll be, I think especially offensively, to see what this team can do, because I think they'll probably need a little bit more offense against Maryland and Arizona than they've had to this point in the season, or maybe not that they've had, but more offense than they needed in the Bahamas, uh, I guess I should say yeah. so. And- That'll be interesting. And real
1: quick, too, I mean, how good has Julian Phillips been the last couple of games? He has really started to find his groove, find his comfortabil- uh, comfortab- comfortableness? Comfortability? Comfortability. Comfortability. I can't say this right now. Well, it was like the word that you couldn't say last week. Can't remember what it was, <laughs> but uh, anyways, he, he is starting to really find his groove on the court right there, and you can see it start in the Battle for Atlantis tournament in the Bahamas, then coming back to face these two teams, McNeese State and Alcorn State. Uh, he, he is really starting to... Just figure out the speed uh, of college ball. Figure out what Tennessee is wanting to do, and really figure out how to how to put it together on the defensive end as well.
0: And you look at what Tennessee lacks on the offensive end, and really the big concern when you have Kennedy Chandler uh, go to the NBA is who can get to the basket and score, because we know Tennessee's front court with Jonas Adu and uh, Olivier Kamwa and Euros Plaza, those aren't big time scorers. They need someone that can score in the basket. We're slowly starting to see Julian Phillips become that guy, and I was kind of uncertain whether he had that in his game before the season. But he's gotten a lot better at attacking the basket, and I think you're starting to see him play really well without shooting three well, which he always made three three three-pointers on the year. Uh, He's not shooting it at a very high clip, uh, just 18%, and he's a better than 18% three-point shooter. So I think that's probably what's particularly encouraging is you're seeing him start to play better on the offensive end and become a guy that carry Tennessee would probably be a little overdramatic but be a guy that Tennessee can go to in in spots where they need offense and that's without him hitting shots and and I don't think he's gonna be a 40 percent shooter three-point shooter or anything like that but I think he's a guy that can shoot in in the mid-30s and once he gets to that rate I think you're gonna see a player that's just more and more dangerous and uh, really makes Tennessee a a lot more difficult team to defend. Have you put up a tree yet? Have you and your friends
1: uh, your roommates have you done a
0: are you going to do a tree? Probably not no. Really? I mean i I'm not buying the tree, so
1: No, it's not that expensive. Well, right? I'm i like I'm thirty not, bucks.
0: I'm not buying the tree. I don't care how much it is. I don't have a desire to set it up and I'm gonna be in Nashville back home, uh, a good bit in December. And now we're already in December fifth, so I'm Okay. If I go buy a tree today okay. and set it up tonight, which I got a lot of work to do the rest of the day too, I wouldn't have time. We'll push it till tomorrow. I got like two weeks where I'm gonna enjoy the tree. And four of those days I'm in Brooklyn covering the basketball game, so there's no point in doing that. Not worth my energy, not worth my time, Yow. not worth my money. Yeah. Okay. Now, normally, I'd be like, I, I would really try to
1: convince you, but you just laid it out pretty organized. It's, it's hard to argue that. Uh, nonetheless, I think you should get a Christmas tree or else you're at risk of me calling you the Grinch for the rest <laughs> of the month.
0: And that's fair. I'll, we'll look into some sort of Christmas decorations that is not a tree, I guess.
1: Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Hey, thanks everybody so much for being patient with us last week. Ryan and Bob, especially you guys as well, allowing me to uh, get over that sickness that I had going on. But we're ready. We're ready to get back into things for December. It's going to be a huge month coming up. Like we said, we have a lot of Tennessee basketball and we have a lot of Tennessee football to get into as well all leading into the Orange Bowl coming up at the end of the month on December 30th. As always, make sure you're staying tuned to Rocky Top Insider on all the different social, social media platforms. That is at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. If you want to follow Ryan, you can do that at rshump00. If you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But again, at the end of the day, just make sure you are following at Rocky Top Insider and checking out rockytopinsider.com each and every day for the best, Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. Me, Ryan, and Jack Foster, we will have you covered. Otherwise, it's going to wrap it up for us. We'll see you back next week. Thanks for listening to the RTI Press Pass.